Does your car really go up to 120 miles an hour like the speedometer shows? Find out what it takes to believe in something, even if you can't quite see it. Hey everyone, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Welcome to our weekly podcast, where we hope today's message inspires you on your continuing faith journey. This week, we're starting a new sermon series called, I'll See It When I Believe It. It's a little play on words. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning here at Tower Hill. I'm Pastor Jason. We're so glad that you could be here today. And if it's your first time worshiping with us, a very special welcome to you. I pray that you feel as welcome as you are. And to see all the things going on in the life of the church that you're all invited to, simply go, you may be watching it right here, towerhillchurch.org, or maybe on Facebook, but go to our website and find out all the things that are happening in the life of the church. And of course, if you can be here in person, we are open, and we'd love to have you as part of our worship service on Sundays. Well, as we continue this post Easter time, which actually is still Easter time, uh, we're talking about what happened after the resurrection. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at what happened with Jesus and the disciples after the tomb was discovered to be empty. I think you might find a couple of things a bit surprising. And of course, what's really important are the lessons that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and to us in the process. Well, this series we're calling, I See It When I Believe It. Uh, A little play on the believe it when I see it idea. But this is what Jesus was trying to teach. And I know I can say happy Easter to you because it's still Easter season. No, not by accident like with that time my family accidentally celebrated Easter two weeks in a row because we discovered the rotten hard-boiled eggs (laughs) that we did not find (laughs) the week before. No, it's not by accident that we say happy Easter. Did you know that there are seven Sundays of Easter. So good news, kids. Peeps for seven weeks. All right, maybe not. But seven Sundays of Easter. Do you know why there are actually seven Sundays of Easter? It's because the resurrection was just the beginning of this time. You see, Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days before he finally ascended into heaven. So what did he do during those 40 days? That is the season of Easter. And I think it should make us question, like, well, why? Why did he wait 40 days? What exactly was he waiting for? And we're going to get to the bottom of that over the next couple of weeks. But first, when somebody tells you something unbelievable, what is your reaction to that claim? I saw a UFO. I saw a ghost. I saw the Giants beat the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl. I don't believe you. What do you say every time? Show me. Right? Where's your proof? You get that UFO on video? I want to see it. Let me see it with my own eyes so I can verify this outrageous claim that you're making. Show me the tape. Show me the tape of the Giants winning that game. (laughs) Right? Show me, and then I'll believe it. And this is just how we're wired. We are in love with things that we can measure. 
Which is a challenge, of course, when it comes to faith. Because faith isn't something that's always observable or even measurable. It's very subjective. We don't always know exactly how to handle faith. How do I know I'm growing in my faith? How do I know I have enough faith? What does that even mean to live in faith? It's not something I could just look at and be like, oh yeah, it's that. No, it's something else. But what's fascinating too is that some of the best things in life are the something else things. Not the things that you can measure, but the things that you can feel. The things that you understand with your soul, with your heart, not just with your head. Although faith is something you understand with your head as well. But usually we say what? I'll believe it when I, complete the sentence, see it. I'll believe it when I see it. We ask questions like, what is your proof? What proof do you have that this is for real? And in a similar way, those early disciples struggled with these kinds of questions as they encountered the risen Jesus. So in John's gospel, right after this last week, our Easter scripture, John's gospel, right after Mary comes back and says, I have seen the Lord, the story continues. And here's where it continues. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now we read this and it feels very docile <laughs> or, or very passive. Oh, oh, what an interesting sentence. No, could you imagine, first of all, Mary comes back, I have seen the Lord. Later that night, he literally shows up, somehow materializes through a locked door and says, peace be with you. And of course, peace be with you would have been a, a very standard greeting, but this in no way was a standard greeting. Peace be with you. This was actually something deeply theological. Jesus is our peace, and his very presence in our lives signals the peace that we experience. And so in that moment, he is saying something so profoundly true. Peace is here. Not only peace be with you, peace is here. I am here with you. And you could just feel the excitement and the fear and the shock and the, all the different emotions that happen in this moment. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mean, I could just imagine their joy. That he was alive. What he said was true. They're finally maybe connecting the dots with Jesus and the things that he taught and said. Connecting the dots to what they just experienced with Mary and the two disciples looking and seeing the empty tomb. Now, interestingly, what do we see here from this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus is that Jesus' body is real, right? He's not just a ghost, and this is really important. His resurrection, he's not just a spirit only. He's a body as well. You can see the wounds you could put your finger in them. So he has a real body, but clearly it's a different kind of body, the kind of body that can appear through locked doors. There's something different about the reason, risen Jesus' body, but it's still a body. It's still something real. And I think this is really important too because you can explain away a lot of things, and people do all the time. We explain away the everyday miracles that we experience all the time, but this is different. It's really hard to explain away a bodily resurrection. 
something that you can touch and verify. It's as if Jesus knew we needed to touch and measure and see the proof in order to understand that the resurrection was real. And seeing Jesus, of course, brought great joy. Let's continue. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is really important, right? One of the first things that Jesus says, he doesn't waste any time. Peace be with you. And now you're on a mission. This same mission that I have been sent on, now you have. That's my first task. That's my first thing that I need you to understand. It's not just that I'm here, that I'm alive, but now you are invited to a mission. And this is the piece that most Christians, of course, in our own 21st century Christianity in America, we don't always get. We see the Christian faith as something that happens to us, not something that we necessarily participate in with our very lives. Church, in so many ways, is about what How's this experience of going to a church gathering going to feed me? When that wasn't Jesus' first concern. His first concern was, you are now part of my body, my church, and now it's time to go. It's time to go on your mission. It's time to participate, to engage in what the Father wants us to do, and that is to share his message, his good news of salvation to the world. Now watch what happens next. This is wild. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Now, this word for breath is the same word that's used in the Hebrew, uh, or in a similar way that the word's used in the Hebrew, and it's supposed to remind us of when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam, brought him to life. The breath, the life-giving breath of God that Jesus has that same breath, that he's breathing them life. He's giving them the salvation that happens on the other side of the cross through faith. It's a really wild moment, and definitely a Trinitarian moment, right? He mentions the Father, he breathes the Holy Spirit, and then he is the Son. And so so a lot of people are like, well, I, I never see the word Trinity in the New Testament. And you're right, but the doctrine of the Trinity is all in the New Testament, and especially right here. And Jesus doesn't send them, though, without empowering them, right? He says, first, peace be with you. You have peace. Why? Because I am here. I am alive. I am the risen one. Now, go on your mission. Oh, and by the way, I'm equipping you to take this mission. So before you have a second to hesitate and say, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I already know that. I am giving you everything that you need. I am equipping you for the mission. How does that make you feel to think of that the first thing that the risen Lord wants to say to a disciple is, go on your mission. Join me in the Father's mission. Now, I know they were the disciples. It was a little bit different, right? It's got context. He's talking to them. He's counting on them to share the gospel with the world. Our relationship's a little different. We weren't disciples that were with Jesus in that way, but I think it holds true with the calling that he has upon every member of the church. That is, you are alive, but you are alive with a greater purpose than your own. Your story is part of the story, and you are invited to participate in that. He continues, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, we could spend a whole sermon series on that idea, but 
there's actually, this is a complicated verse. It doesn't mean that everybody had the same power of Jesus to forgive sins. That would be pretty blasphemous. But it is talking about how the main thing that Jesus wanted to get out there was the message of forgiveness of sins through the cross. And there's some other places in the Gospels where it talks about like what's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, what's bound on earth will be bound in heaven. This is all about how we live in life together under the Gospel. It's about the power of God. It's not about that we can forgive people's sins. Anyway, just wanted to make sure that that was clear. But as we go on, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubting Thomas. Oh, the famous doubting Thomas. Poor guy. And listen, I give Thomas a break. He just wasn't in the room. It's not that he was doubting any harder than the other disciples. He just wasn't there. Like, can you imagine? Like, where did he go? Did he, like, go out to get something to eat and he came back? Oh, what did I miss? Oh, uh, oh yeah, J- Jesus came back and showed us the wounds. What? Get out of here. I'll believe it when I see it. Show me the proof. Did you get it on video? Oh, yeah, that's not invented yet. But still, what is your proof? We also get the sense that Jesus doesn't judge him too harshly either. Right? He doesn't necessarily penalize him for not being in the room. But he does call him to faith. Here's the thing. All of us, we've been like doubting Thomas before. Lord, prove it to me, show me, give me a sign, give me something so that I can stake my claim in you, so I could really believe it. Give me some proof, something. But the thing is, faith in Jesus has never been blind faith. It's like this. So let's say that, that somebody comes to me and they said, okay, pastor, I want you to play this bucket as a drum. But, I'm, but you can do it blindfolded. And I'm going to set everything up, and you're going to put this bucket right in front of you. We're going to put the blindfold on, put the drumsticks in your hand. And I promise you, that bucket's going to be in just the right place so that when you swing down, you'll make contact. You'll be able to play it. Now, depending on who the person is that's putting the bucket there, let's say it's somebody that I trust. That's not blind faith. It's faith based on trust in previous behavior. So this person who's putting the bucket in front of me, I trust that they're they're not lying to me. They're going to put it right where they say they're going to. So even though I can't see it, I know I am going to make contact because I have trust in the person. So in a similar way, when Jesus calls me to play the drum, when Jesus calls me out into a life of faith, it's not a blind faith. 
There is trust based on previous behavior. My relationship with God, I've seen God show up in my life. I've seen him heal. I've seen him reconcile. I've seen him bring joy when there was pain. I've seen him ease suffering. I've seen him bring life in the middle of the darkness. I've seen him do those things. I have this relationship with God. And so I trust that when he says step out, the drum's going to be there when I swing down. No, I can't see it, but I know it's going to be there. That's faith, but it's not blind faith. It's faith that has evidence behind it. I mean, shoot, let's look, for example, the pandemic, right? The coronavirus. I have to admit, a year and a half ago when I first heard about the coronavirus, I'm like, I don't know, is that really a thing? Is that real? People are starting to wear masks. Like, is it, is it overblown? Is it really a pandemic? I can't see it. Who could see the virus? And then I had the virus. <laughs> okay, all right, this is real. Yep, I couldn't see it, but I definitely experienced it. And I've seen other people experience it. And we've, of course, seen people across the world experience the virus. We've seen the effects of the virus, even though we can't see the virus. Or it's like perhaps the wind. I can't see the wind. I see the effects of the wind everywhere, but I can't see the wind. I see how the leaves blow. I see how the weather patterns move. I could even feel it on my skin, but I can't see it. My faith in Jesus is an experience of faith, but it's not blind faith. Jesus has placed the drum of God's mission in front of me and asked me, to play based on trust. He asked me based on trust. And when I step out in faith, I know he's going to be there. He's going to put what's supposed to be in front of me. And that's the thing I think a lot of people miss. They're like, how can you just blindly believe in God? Well, I don't blindly believe in God. Actually, there's quite a bit of evidence for me that the God of the universe is working in my life and around me and in the world. And so I trust. And every time I go to bang that drum, it's there because I trust he puts it right in the place where he says he will. So again, Jesus doesn't penalize Thomas for not being in the room, but he challenges him to believe. He gives him an opportunity, right? Okay, here, feel the wounds. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. This happened on the road to Emmaus, around the same time frame in Luke's gospel. They were, the disciples on the road were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. There it is again. It's like this different way of Jesus appearing. Remember last week with Mary in the tomb. She thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't understand that it's Jesus. There's something different about the risen body of Jesus, and yet... It's actually a risen body of Jesus. It's like Jesus is trying to teach a lesson to his followers, to his disciples. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And there are all these different sightings of Jesus in this way, these kind of mysterious comings and goings, and not everybody knew it was Jesus at the time until such point as he made it known to them. It's as if this was all a lesson, an object lesson for his disciples to learn. 
that when I called you, you followed me in the body. But now I, this new resurrected body that is going to ascend into heaven, you're not going to be able to follow me in the same way. And so therefore, you have to follow me by faith. You're not going to be able to see it with your eyes. You're going to have to see it with your faith. You're going to feel like you're blindfolded, but trust me, I'm there, just like I've always been. And I will be you always to the end of the age. These are the promises that he gives them. He's trying to teach them this new way of experiencing him in faith. So what was Jesus waiting for? Why 40 days more of teaching and talking and this mysterious coming and going? Because he was waiting for his disciples to believe so they could see. At the risk of using one of the most overused movie references ever about faith. <laughs> it's, but it's so good, so I'm going to do it. Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, 1989, classic, right? That classic moment where he has to take a leap of faith. He has to decide what he believes. Will he fall to his death on the chasm that looks like is there, or will he be saved if he believes? And he sticks his foot out as only Harrison Ford could with all the drama and all the passion and the music lifts. Great Spielberg movie, right? As this moment, he takes a step out and the ground is there. It was always there. He just couldn't see it before. He believed, took a step, and then he could see. This is so much like our life of faith. This is so much what Jesus was trying to show his disciples, and I believe what he's trying to show us. We believe in order to see. So what do we learn from this first couple of stories after the resurrection? We learn a couple really important things that has a lot to do with our faith. The first is, Easter is an invitation to faith where we are awakened to things as they really are. I'll never forget the feeling when I came to faith in Jesus after 19 years of being apart from Jesus, not even really knowing who he was or even caring. How I thought I knew the world in front of me. It seemed so figured out. And then I came to faith in Jesus. And it's as if somebody opened my eyes. I could see things for what they really were. Actually, different from the blindfold story in the bucket, it's like someone actually removed the blindfold. And I could see everything in front of me for the first time. I knew how big God's love was. I knew that he had a plan and a purpose for me and for all of us. I knew that he had a mission that he was calling me towards. I knew that he had a plan for this world that even though it's decaying, even though it continues to be broken by sin, there is hope of redemption and reconciliation and bringing all things back to himself. I could see the image of God in people even that I didn't like, people that I didn't get along with, people I didn't agree with. Somebody told me, you know what? Because we're all created in the image of God, when you're standing in front of somebody else, no matter how bitter an enemy, you are standing on holy ground because they bear the image of God just like you. I didn't see that before, but I saw it when I was awakened by faith. Easter is an invitation of faith that awakens us to life as it really is. But it doesn't end there. That's, I think, where a lot of us struggle. That's not just it. It's not just coming to faith and seeing Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus would have ascended into heaven right after he rose again. There's something more. He invites us to something. 
Faith is an invitation to carry on the Father's mission. So if Easter, if the event of the resurrection is meant to give us faith, faith then is meant to get us out the door and working on the mission of God. What does that mean? It means that the way I live my life, the way I do my job, the way I interact with family and friends, the way that I interact with people in my community, the things that I care about, the things that I lift up, the way that I love is all shaped by the Father's heart, his Father's heart to redeem his wayward children. We are supposed to be a part of that. And whatever that looks like in my life, it could be a lot of different things, but it's all based on the same thing, and that is what's the Father's mission to the world, and how do I participate in it? That's next. And then we, we remember we don't do it on our own power. Jesus equips us for this mission to preach forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit gives us everything we need because that's usually the next excuse, right? Okay, I know that I have faith and Jesus gives me life everlasting and I'm sent on this mission from God, but who am I? I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. You're right. You can't. None of us can. That's why we are equipped by the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes on us. That Holy Spirit equips us for every good work of our Father's kingdom. Maybe you feel like things haven't really clicked for you. I've met a lot of people recently, so maybe you feel like you're in this camp. I've met a lot of people recently who feel this way, that something in their faith, something about their faith just isn't clicking or hasn't clicked in a long time or maybe never has. And they say things like, I want to feel what this Christian feels. I want to experience what this Christian has said they experienced. Pastor, you, you have all these stories about God working in your life. I want those stories. Maybe all of that is right in front of you. But perhaps you become too accustomed to the blindfold and not trusting that the bucket's there. Maybe Jesus is waiting for you to believe. Not just to believe he rose again, but to believe all of it. To believe that there is more for your life. That he's called you on this mission, that he's equipping you for this good work, that he's given you certain gifts and abilities to contribute to this work. And maybe we say we believe it, but we don't live like we believe it. And I think we're all guilty of that on some level, right? Say one thing and do another. Or we pledge our allegiance to God only to forget about him the rest of the week. Sadly, I think a lot of us who claim to have faith, we live as functional atheists. Our lives don't reflect that we believe at all. We have the same anxiety, we have the same worry, the same doubt, constantly asking for proof, not trusting that God's going to be right there when he says he is. Maybe he's waiting for us to believe. And when we do, here's the great promise. You'll see it. You'll see it. When you believe it. Amen.